Thanks for spending this portion of the afternoon with us. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Jill. A little bit of a heads up and a warning of sorts, especially if you have sensitivities to stories about violence involving animals. That being said, we'll go on and talk about this one. It is shocking. Happened back in October of 2021. A 34-year-old wildlife guide near Tofino went into his house, retrieved a bow and arrow, as well as a crossbow, and killed a mother bear and her cub in a tree near his house. He struck the cub with the arrow, injuring and causing it to fall from the tree. He then shot a number of arrows at it, injuring it. The bear tried to escape, but he chased and killed it. Then he killed the cub and hid it on his property. What followed was different stories about what happened and what didn't happen. And ultimately, this ended up before a judge. And that's why we're going to be talking about this story, because the judge said that sometimes a fine is not enough. That's right. Sometimes a fine is not enough. And in this case, Ryan Owen Miller, a wildlife guide in Tofino, received 30 days in jail behind bars and $5,500 in fines for each of two bears in a case where we usually, these type of cases, don't see any jail time at all. Is this the direction we're going in? Is it the right direction? Well, let's bring in animal rights lawyer and adjunct professor at UBC's Allard School of Law, Victoria Sharoff. Victoria, thanks so much for being with us. Certainly. You know, when you hear something like this, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is jail time. Wow. This is, you know, a case where you would certainly think fines are in the offing, but not jail time. What do you make of it? Well, I think the court really took a very close look at this case. This was not something that the court decided to do lightly when they um, provided um, uh, this sentence. Uh, I'm going to quote directly a short quote from the judgment that tells you what, what exactly the judge is saying. He says, I accept that fines in the past may have been enough to deter specific individuals, but I question whether the history of charging a fee or giving a fine to offenders has had much of a general deterrent effect. I conclude that if the courts are to support the principle that we must preserve and conserve Canada's wildlife habitat, sometimes a fine is not enough. You know, it's interesting because in this case, Judge Alexander Wolf, I guess, is taking a look at society and there are different groups of people in society, like it or not. Some are able to afford fines and maybe think it's just the cost of doing business. I'm not saying that is linked to this case. I'm just talking about how you would uh, look at sentencing in this. And sometimes, uh, you know, you have to go for something else. But, uh, you know, 30 days in jail. Have you heard of this type of thing happening before in BC? I have not heard about um, a case like this before in BC. I have heard of jail time being given in other provinces. Like I can think of a time when a judge in New Brunswick ordered 156 days in jail for another individual um, for wildlife crimes. So it's not that they don't happen. But when we're looking at the B.C. wildlife statute, which is the applicable statute here in this case, um, they are allowed, as the court is allowed to do on a first conviction, a fine of not more than 100000 or to a term of imprisonment not exceeding one year, or both. 
So it's within the statute to do, of course it is. Well, you know, the court wouldn't have done it otherwise, but just most people probably don't know that there is also, um, there is um, the ability to have kind of creative sentences. And sometimes um, you need to apply these principles um, because of the aggravating factors in, in this case. And there were several aggravating factors, um, as you indicated in the, in the fact pattern at the beginning about, you know, killing a, a mother bear who was lactating. That's, you know, the, the sow who was killed and her baby cub of probably under two years old. There was a lot of evidence brought to bear on this case. And importantly, there was also indigenous um, opinions provided. And I, and I find that extremely important and informative. Also, we should mention that uh, if the sow was lactating, that could mean, or probably does mean, there are other cubs, and they just weren't around at this point. Um, so I think the judge did take that into account. Uh, indigenous um, uh, ramifications in this, what's that about? Well, so what's happened is um, the BC government, as part of uh, Truth and Reconciliation, has has indicated that what they want to do is they want to um, get in line um, and be um, in, in alignment, I should say, rather, with um, principles of reconciliation. And so what happened in this case is cultural significance of black bears and information um, about um, black bears in Indigenous cultures by the um, by a particular um, First Nation that I, I'm sure I'm not going to say the name right, uh, uh, Tlaquit First Nation was brought in, and my apologies for saying the name wrong. Um, but what, what they talked about there is that the culturally significant role in the West Coast First Nations culture, and of course of First Nations cultures across Canada, that these animals represent the qualities of courage and strength and represent the sacredness of these attributes. So there was... You know, two Indigenous people uh, came forward, uh, elders who spoke about the importance of black bears culturally. And then we also had a wildlife veterinarian come forward. This case was very thoroughly, thoroughly investigated and um, four days of trial. So, so I think, you know, exploring the coexistence principles and the need for education and deterrence um, were, were guiding factors in this case. I wonder what the ramifications will be uh, when you have somebody that's Indigenous that also breaks the law. Is that something that uh, would still apply? Well, that, that's a different case um, than this one, than the case we're talking about in the Miller instance, the case of Mr. Miller in this case. Um, but there could also be alternative um, sentencing structures and um, it, it might not happen in a court. It might happen in a different way. But I do know that um, the um, elder Dr. Williams said, if someone were to kill a Sims, not out of necessity, they would be held accountable. That, those are exact words from paragraph 56 of the, the sentencing reasons. In our system, in the BC court system, when you have a sentence like this, is this going to set a precedent for future sentences? Do you expect that? I think it will. I think it has the potential to do that. It could still be subject to appeal because of the period of time that we're looking at. Um, but I think this definitely has the potential to be precedent setting. 
And for me, as an animal lawyer for over 20 years, what's really exciting about this is it might signal a new direction of how important wild animals are seen by the courts. It's not just like, oh, you just killed you just killed some animals. No big deal. Move on. Pay a fine. In fact, the court is saying, you know, this is an individual who really didn't take responsibility. He tried to actually um, hide the bodies. And so, you know, the thing about wildlife crimes is they are notoriously difficult to detect and very easy to do. So when we see the court stepping up and saying, you know, Animals are incredibly important here. Um, and, and this person has been, as he said, you know, basically disrespectful to preservation and conservation of wildlife. Um, I, think, I think we're going in a new direction. Oh, definitely. But one that I have to wonder, is this going to be a case where you have almost like a different feeling of people guided differently? Well, the feeling might exist now in rural areas as opposed to urban areas when they end up before a judge quite often that judge is not even going to be uh, someone that lives in a more remote location do you see that playing any sort of factor here i think the provincial court is aware of that and they um, do definitely try to assign um, judges who are part of that community where where they can um, of course, there's differences between rural and urban. I'm with you on that. Um, but they always, I think, go out of their way to try to have a court who understands the community. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't, I don't see an unevenness in the application of the law coming out because of that. I think that there has been um, an even-handed way of, of saying, this is what the legislature has said is the law. And also the case law was looked at in detail, including unreported cases. So this contextual analysis um, that's required in wildlife cases, I think, was done. And, you know, we're talking about intentional killing of black bears who are not posing a threat. And, you know, and these are sacred animals. Um, So, you know, I'm quite certain jail time is, is really reserved as a last resort, as in very serious cases like this one, where the court found that that Miller's moral blameworthiness was found to be exceptionally high. Yeah, indeed. We're talking with Victoria Sharoff, animal lawyer and adjunct professor at UBC's Allard School of Law. Victoria, as a legal uh, scholar, when you take a look at this and possibly the need for more research uh, coming up, what areas are you interested in when it comes to wildlife? What uh, what areas are open that we need to do a little bit more looking at? Well, I think the number one thing that we can do in this province and across the country for wildlife is listen to Indigenous elders. I cannot stress how important that is. It's proved to be so valuable And I'm so excited that we're finally doing that, that we're building in these requirements into the legislation where we're seeing how much wisdom is coming from from people who understand this for millennia. And, you know, you know, this is where the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People and the B.C. government are are working together because of the the um, the amendments to the B.C. Wildlife Act to to support reconciliation to increase collaboration with Indigenous people. I really think that's the number one thing we can do in this province and, as I say, across the country. And we we will begin to see a deeper understanding about how important wildlife is and on on, on what level, um, like we've never seen before. 
We've been talking about the courts, but ultimately it comes down to the rules that are set by the minds that are uh, behind the political lawmaking as the politicians uh, in the legislature or in the House of Commons. Do you see any desire to go in that direction to update any of the rules? Well, certainly, I think we should always be reviewing our legislation in relation to animals and wild animals in particular in this instance. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of coexistence and, and importing those principles into the legislation. Like we saw, as you know, in 2017, the grizzly hunt um, came to an end. I think that was very progressive. Um, so we, we've seen pockets of where we start listening to um, knowledge keepers, and we, we understand that what was okay 100 years ago in our law is not. A lot of people will say we need to update our criminal code in terms of um, animal cruelty as well. So there, there are plenty of areas um, uh, to, to work on. There's no shortage for sure. And it's, it's a situation where every time, as I say, just because I've been doing animal law for so long, that when I see um, what appears to me to um, show the animals and their cases and their lives are being taken a lot more seriously, not just as a group, but as individual animals, like they really went out of their way to identify through the forensic necropsy yeah. about this this animal, right? And saying, you know, this this sow was shot from a probably like a tree from an angle. You know, they really there was they, they, an investigation years ago. I don't think there would have been one. Quite possibly, quite possibly, to this level and four days of trial. You know, I mean, that's the other thing in this case that this individual, this this offender did not plead guilty. Um, and that's also a big factor here. Um, the Crown put together a cogent argument, and it was so good that the, um, that the court decided to append it to its reasons for sentence. That doesn't always happen. Um, so it tells you that this case was really, really investigated thoroughly and completely and um, I think that's that's really an important factor in it as well. Well, thanks for talking with us about this. And uh, I think it's an interesting one to watch, not even for this case, but for, as you explained, what it might mean for Indigenous input into different cases when it comes to wildlife and also animal rights on the whole in the future. Victoria, thank you. You're very welcome.